Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean DeBias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Hari Ravanchandran to the Reboot Chronicles. He is the founder and CEO of Aura, a proactive platform dedicated to creating a safer internet. Easily, easier said than done, of course. The company has been on a roll as of late and just invested in kiddos, which we'll talk about. Hari founded also Endurance International, which he built into a multi-billion dollar valuation company with about 3,500 employees and combined with web.com to form Newfold Digital. And he's also founder of Jump Ventures, his family office, which invests in bringing disruptive deals to market and scale. He's also the author of a new book, which is why I called him to be on the program, called Intelligent Safety. Uh, Harry was named also ENY's Entrepreneur of the Year and many other awards, of course, but also one of the most powerful CEOs under 40 by Forbes. That's always a good thing to have. Of course, Harry, it's good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. The um, So much to talk about. Uh, I've spent a lot of time in cybersecurity, uh, not so much lately, and it, it seems like if I'm not in it for six months, everything goes crazy and keeps changing. So you, you definitely picked a dynamic space we'll, we'll get into. But for the uh, listeners and some readers of this uh, uh, podcast, um, you know, my notes of, about what cyber theft is going on in America, it's, it's still one of our fastest um, growing crimes. 60% of America is reporting to be a victim of digital crime. One in 10 people become identity theft victims annually, which is really high, I think, and um, including a million a million children. Is that right? Exactly right. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. And consumers lost about $10 billion. It's probably higher than that now in, in 2020, right up from like $7 billion. Financial losses online are surpassing that as, as uh, surpassing home theft. So... Um, yeah, all those uh, TV commercials for protecting your home people, you need to pay attention to to this. So I'm not sure where to start with you. I'd, I'd love to talk about the company, but maybe uh, we could just kick off talking about the book. Um, I actually read it last night and um, got some great stuff in here, even for people like me who know a little bit about the space. And I love how you call it, you know, how to protect your connected family, because that to me seems like those of you that have kids, even if some of you have older kids like me and you're still paying for their cell phones. I'm not sure why that happened, but uh, they're almost like the weakest link, you know, when I was reading the book, I'm like, yeah, it's, a, it's the children. <laughs> so yeah, I'd love to hear about, um, you know, why did you write this and, and how's it going to help people? Yeah. I mean, you know, the book is really about empowering families. That's at the core of it. Uh, cause cyber criminals have gotten a lot more sophisticated. So the more knowledge that families can have in terms of kind of what's going on out there, how to keep themselves safe, especially with the new influx of AI, uh, there's a whole new wave of crime and how do you sort of uh, leverage tips, tools, tricks to uh, make sure your family's safe. You know, and, and, as you said, kids and elders, I mean, they tend to be the most vulnerable population within, within families, you know, whether it's your kid having a secret life uh, whether, <laughs> as a teenager safeguarding your family finances, uh, making sure your uh, aging parents are not victims to scam, uh, identifying some of these things and, and helping folks uh, uh, understand what to do about it. Uh, so I really wanted to create a guide, you know, that could help help families with a lot of knowledge and, you know, try to get ahead of the, the, the bad guys uh, as much as possible. Uh, and, you know, I, I did have some uh, personal affinity to this because I actually went through an identity theft incident back in 2014. And 
it is a real pain to go back and remediate and fix uh, some of the damage that happened from that. So uh, I would definitely love for my experience to serve as a, as a warning tale uh, to help folks uh, not, to, not to fall victim to that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, unlike physical crimes where the cops show up and there's a process, there's a judge, this is a very gray area still. After all these years, you think there'd be a better process. I like the one line you've got in here about turning the tables on cyber criminals, you know, keep your loved ones safe. That all that all sounds good. Um, is AI going to make that easier and better? Um, just forgetting the, the dangers of AI for a second. Is, is there actually a way for AI to help us be more safe? You know, it's really interesting because it is a two-sided sword. I mean, yeah. the, the tools that we have available to us as people that are trying to prevent crime, the criminals also have access to some of those tools as well. I mean, I, I, so I think in general, uh, AI for good and AI uh, to be able to identify scams and patterns, et cetera, uh, is a pretty powerful tool. But not to be taken lightly that, you know, some of those same technology core is available to uh, bad people as well. And so it's, you know, a continuous sort of uh, cat and mouse game. You have to make sure that uh, you're trying to stay ahead of it. Uh, and at a minimum, if you're not using AI, you're falling behind the victims. Ideally, you'd not like that to happen, you know, and uh, ideally, you'd like to be in a situation where you're well, you know, well ahead of where the victims are in terms of their tech curve. So, so what would what should I be doing with AI from my personal cybersecurity um, perspective? I think you know there's a lot of uh, uh, new companies like my company Aura, for example, where we leverage a lot of these tools on the back end yep. to be able to uh, to be able to identify uh, scams that are happening, able to identify even sort of uh, AI generated scams as well. Uh, and there's a whole wave of uh, people kind of building on top of uh, modern stacks and on top of modern AI uh, technology. So getting smart on that, getting to understand sort of, you know, which of these things uh, are relevant to your life and family and which of these things you can take like an active role in. Because most people just feel like, hey, this seems so much beyond yeah. my technical ability and I just I'm going to do nothing about it. Uh, to change from that to saying, OK, I want to take control of, uh, of my safety for, for me and my family online is, is, is pretty critical. Yeah, I'm just staring here at the book, which so I'm off camera a little bit for those of you watching. The um, so as as you get to the end of the book, you give out some real good specificity about hey, here's what you should do. Everything from passwords to, um, yep, to all kinds of tricks. And uh, what 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 are your top three things there that you uh, make sure? I mean, yes. it's like they're not going to do all ten. I don't know that much. Yeah, no, I mean, I would say top three uh, weak passwords or reusing passwords over and over again. That tends to be, you know, believe it or not, still a very, very high. Yeah, one of the things uh, you recommended there was without getting too geeky was like, hey, let the password generator generate a password. Like, exactly. That's the safe and story. I can remember what that is. They have to go write it down somewhere or something. No, no, because I think the password generator will generate it and you can store it. And so if you're sort of on your device, you can make sure that you don't have to remember it. You click a button and it basically kind of fills the password. Yep. Uh, so in some ways, that's pretty beneficial. I'd say 2FA. Uh, people hate it because when they try to log in, you know, you have to go back and authenticate yourself again, yeah. whether it's MFA or 2FA. Uh, that, I think, is a, is a pretty critical way to kind of avoid uh, avoid issues. And then, you know, from a financial standpoint, you know, make sure you're checking your credit, make sure you're checking your bank uh, uh, statements, even off cycle, especially if you get a breach notification where somebody said, hey, you were at the store, the store got breached, your information's out there. You probably want to be extra vigilant to make sure that uh, there is nothing uh, off kilter with your credit or with uh, with the uh, bank transactions. 
and it's free. I mean, it doesn't cost you anything, so might as well go uh, and stay on top of it. Yeah, we're not going to go into credit score stuff, but I mean, even checking your credit score changes your credit score. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I think there's sort of the concept of a hard inquiry and a soft inquiry. So the soft inquiry doesn't, and the hard does. Yeah. So most of the services online will uh, do a soft inquiry, yeah. and so uh, so that will not affect your score as much. But yes, you know, historically there have been times where that wasn't the case, and you know. You go look at it, and you made your own score worse. So that was never good incentive. <laughs> <It's just, laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, it's a great book. I, 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 uh, it's available everywhere, folks. And um, and obviously, it comes out of your passion for you know your current company. You've done a few companies like me, and um, so let's talk about you know the the mission. And it's like you're taking this pre proactive approach versus reactive. And now that people. You know, since AI is like all the rage, and even though people like you and I have been working in it for years, they understand proactive versus reactive now. And uh, how has it set you apart from competitors? Like you know, everything from LifeLock to, you know, you name it. This everyone in the industry that's kind of trying to help people. Is it all digital crime, for instance, and digital protection? You know, I, I think so. Historically, a lot of companies have taken a much more point solution approach, you know, where it's basically, hey, we're going to, you know, remedy uh, viruses on your computer or we're going to monitor your transactions, so like one one or two or three of these things. But the security footprint of a family is much wider than that. Yes. You know, it's basically, you know, there's things like parental controls. Uh, you want to make sure your kid is safe, you know, scams that are happening via telephone or text messages. There's a whole gamut of these things. So the way we've approached it is, uh, to make it an all-in-one solution across all threat vectors and really focus on the proactive part where if we can identify potential risks for the family, we will either make recommendations or try to make it easy for them to like lock their credit, for example. Why wait until after something negative happens to your credit? If we know there's some risk, let's do it ahead of time. Same thing with proactively changing passwords. Right. Uh, and then leveraging AI, for example, we've uh, rolled out recently uh, something called a call assistant where... Uh, when you make a when there's a call that comes inbound, we can both identify if it's a call that is spam or has scam intent based on the words that people are saying, and with that we can basically uh, recommend to the user to either pick it up, not pick up the call. If they don't want to pick it up, we can transcribe the text, uh, the the voicemail, and send it back to the user, et cetera, as well. So, so those are sort of some some examples of getting out in front of the problem versus waiting till after it happens. Yeah, I love that proactive. I mean, AT and T is doing that now. It's telling me different categories that it puts numbers in, probably based on database about the numbers. What what are you adding to that? So what we actually do is both do uh, the the number lookups, meaning it's a known number in your contact book or not, is it numbers that are being recycled, et cetera, from from uh, from databases. Right. But we also listen to the call that's actually happening, and we do sentiment analysis of the call, and we do like a, a inflection of words and what kind of words the person on the other side is using, and we use all that information to then triangulate and make it be much more dynamic because. The list that, that we use for bad phone numbers, et cetera, they tend to get stale pretty often. Yeah. And there's new numbers that get added to that. So you want to get real-time information about whether a particular uh, call has a scam intent. And the other nice thing that we're rolling out now is if there's a scam intent, let's say it's a senior, like like my mom gets a call, it's uh, 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 it's got some scam intent, and she doesn't know what to do with it, she can forward the call off to me and just say, hey, I'm going to delegate this to my son. I can pick it up and I can say, okay, is this real or not? And, you know, kind of make, make some decisions on our behalf. So we try to kind of make it work well for the family dynamics as well. Yeah. 
We just had our corporate governance conference at Kellogg, and uh, so we had the uh, CEO of CrowdStrike, as usually comes and talks. George, yeah, 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 George. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the stuff that they tell the audience just literally scare. It's like scaring your parents, really. And, it, it, I mean, it's it's insane. I mean, they deal with threats at a whole another level yeah. with nation states. They're at, and, they're at the <laughs> nation state yeah, corporate, so. you know, multinational yeah. corporation. A little different from you, trying to protect uh, people. Um, yeah. What else about your your? You've got a bunch of different subsidiaries like Pango, and you just bought Kidas. What what is that all about? Yeah, Kidas we made an investment in. Uh, uh, Pango basically is uh, a sort of a, a, a portion of our business that focuses on uh, VPN primarily, uh, and so an Aura is sort of our all-in-one product. Uh, Kidas we actually made an investment in because they are very innovative in terms of. Uh, uh, finding threats inside gaming systems which is a big problem for for families and kids Massive. Uh, if you're on yeah if you're on pc games are your kids being uh bullied or are there sort of you know negative experiences they're having are they bullying other people etc so you want to be able to identify these things and get information back to the family um and so they do a great job with that so we decided to make an investment in that and uh also become a distribution partner for them yeah, sounds smart. Um, does it? Uh, I used to be the CEO of a games company, so the first thing the kids so you get it. Yeah, the first thing the kids are going to ask is, "Is this going to wreck my latency? Is this going to slow down? <laughs> slowing down my client? What's going on here?" No, uh, that's part of why we love it because it's super low latency. It doesn't actually affect your game playing uh, experience at all. Smart. Yeah. What? Um, so when you look at your product roadmap, where you're going, um, you know what? What's the biggest? Um, I, let's just start with that. Where, yeah, where you got, where's the company going to be in a few years? And then I want to follow up with some reboot stories. Yeah, so I mean, we kind of think of where we are now. In the, we, we kind of think about our sort of you know pr- our product north star to be intelligent safety for families. Uh, like our first version of the product was very much focused on safety. The second version of the product was very much focused on safety for families, which is sort of where we're at in our current roadmap. Uh, the next wave that's kind of happening, second half of this year, going into next year is a lot more intelligent feature. So like, we've been investing in AI for about two years now. We've built up a lot of underpinning uh, and, and, and sort of a very robust backend. Being able to leverage that to kind of drive a whole lot more intelligent features inside the product that make it very much more proactive than even it is today is sort of the next wave uh, of stuff. And so, uh, you know, for the next kind of year plus, we'll kind of go through, we'll go through that. And then we'll start to drive newer experiences for people, whether it's sort of... Uh, you know, if you're a senior, your experience might want to be a little bit different than if you're a child versus if you are, uh, 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 you know, sort of a, uh, a small business, et cetera. So kind of driving different experiences of the product across uh, multiple different segments of, uh, of users. And cybercrime surpassing burglaries, um, I'm not sure. Um, I mean, that's not a big surprise. But do you does your product also tie into, hey, you also have a, a home security system and because, you know, people want less software to manage more things in their lives. Are, are you thinking about physical at all? We are. I mean, we're, we're thinking about IoT sort of in a broad yeah. way, uh, which is basically, you know, all of the devices in your home. I mean, a typical user, a typical household has between 25 to 30 connected devices. Yeah. And that ranges anywhere from like your baby cams in your home to nests and rings. Holding and, up you know, my uh, phone to show you all the apps. It's ridiculous. <laughs> five, it's nuts, yeah. Six of them just for the house. I'm like, come on. Somebody. Yeah. And so so what we're hoping to do is basically if we can get all of the information from many of those also integrated inside our product, it could drive a really good experience for 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 our uh, for our customers. Uh, we're in the middle of development there. We're not there yet, but uh, we're hoping to get a beta, beta version of the IoT uh, features uh, out, out the door by early next year, basically. 
Yeah, smart. When you look at predictive analytics versus prescriptive, you know, it's like telling me what's going to happen or actually just doing something about it. Is Do you see that as a big trend as well? Or it's like, hey, we're just going to fix things for you and we'll let you know about it if you want to undo it. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah we, we do. We think about it two ways, right? One is basically getting the insight and the second is the automation piece of it. But that's a huge trend. And, I, you know, for all the talk about AI, yeah. really the algorithms and the, the, <laughs> the learning part of the AI is a probably 10, 20% of the effort, like 80% of the effort that nobody really talks about is in the data, right? And so how do you set up your data pipeline? How is the data layout set up? Can you access things within your data set in a, in a fast, low latency kind of way? So doing that part right will make the the uh, the predictive analytics a whole lot more easy because you can access things much more easily. And that's where we kind of have an advantage where we are looking at a lot of things within a family, not just one vertical set of data, basically. So we get a lot of information. Um, so we spend a lot of time on the data pipeline, getting the data layout right, and then the intelligence features on top of it. So once you get that, you can almost think of that as your brain for your family that's saying, okay, well, here's what this family's doing. Here's the different elements of the family. Uh, here's where all the risks are. And now when you're armed with that information, you can say, well, what do we do about it? So then you start thinking about stuff like, okay, we probably want to lock the credit for this family. We want to set up intelligent thresholds for transactions where they see anomalous transactions. We can alert them to that. Oh, the, the child in the family seems to have some, some patterns online that seem a little bit uh, risky. Uh, so kind of setting up some guardrails around it. So that's the automation part of it is how do we do those things on behalf of the family mm-hmm. to make their life a little bit easier. So Yeah, for instance, in the book, you mentioned something that I've been doing for years, which is just automatic alerts anytime there's a charge on your credit card. Unfortunately, yep. one of the Amex cards, it has to be over $10, which is stupid because that's, that's when people are testing your card. Um, but yeah. anyway, Visa starts with pennies. So I do one cent. Um but that's something that they'll just still have to do themselves because sometimes it's a pain. Um, well, no, you don't, are, you, actually, are you going to be able to just – can you automate that with your system? Or w- Yeah, we just rolled out this feature. It's called Anomalous Transaction Detection. So once you set it up, if you connect your Amex card to the Aura product, yeah. we are continuously looking to see – so like for example, in your household, a $10 charge at Starbucks might be very common. But if we see something which is like a $500 charge at Starbucks, that's odd, right? So right. it will look for anomalous patterns within, within the household. $2,000 of gift cards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Somebody's probably, you know, uh, harvesting information that, that they ought not to. So what we tend to do is, you know, really create the security model on a per family basis. And if something is an outlier for that family, then coming back to them with that information, um, which, you know, which is what the anomaly transaction detection does. And that's another example of an AI set of features that, uh, we're using for good there because uh, without the right data layout and the, the right model, it would be very hard to solve the problem in a, in a, in a way that's actually useful for, for families. Yeah. Moms really struggle with their kids, especially daughters being on uh, Instagram, TikTok, and who the heck knows what else. Um, yeah. Apparently they're not on Facebook, but uh, how do you help that? Cause that's, it's, you know, I, 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 I will tell you, like I have not going well and there's a big market there. <laughs> You know, with, with my own kids, I see it because I'm, I'm, I, you know, I have them use our product, yeah. uh, and you know, you can kind of see what are the different things that they're doing and what new apps they're downloading, et cetera. 
but on the social media side, it's clearly it's uh, uh, Instagram, it's TikTok, uh, it's kind of very popular. On the app side, interestingly, we see a lot of YouTube and Discord yeah. uh, have gotten to be very, very popular yeah. apps for messaging, uh, et cetera, as well. So we are rolling out features now, which will inform families about pattern changes for their kids. So today, what you can do is you can set limits and you can say, Hey, you know, if they're going over a certain limit, you know, you can stop them from uh, being able to use stuff. You can, in fact, go turn off their internet from your phone uh, if it's over a certain certain limit, which is nuclear. The kids hate that. Obviously, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of programs <laughs> do that, right? That's so. It's a, it's, and some of it is available on your phone itself. But here, what we end up doing is also tabulating uh, all the apps they're using, how much time they're they are on a particular app, <laughs> and the next wave of features that are coming out now will say, okay. We're seeing that your child is using uh, uh, this app that wasn't there last week, and now it's here, and now they're you know uh, using it quite a bit. So that's an off kilter pattern, right? And so we'll check that against the network to see if that's part of some bigger scam. So we can then identify the scam and send it back to the family. So using some of this data to then drive intelligent insights, which, like I was saying, was the intelligent part of the intelligent safety for families, basically. Yeah, and, and rather than giving me a credit card, allowing authorizing microtransactions through your portal of your your port, your credit card, but then they don't have it anymore. Things like that. Exactly. Exactly right. I'm speaking from experience. <laughs> I used to give my credit card to the kids. Don't do that anymore. Um, yeah. Hey, speaking of that, um, should people, you know, Google is really good about storing your, your passwords and your credit cards. Yep. And I trust yep. them more than Facebook. Just It's just yep. probably because I never had to give Facebook a credit card. Do you, you, do you recommend that as a tool? You know, I, yeah, I, yes. I mean, it's, it's Google. I mean, they have amazing, uh, a focus on security technology uh, on the back end, et cetera. I mean, yeah, they do two-factor you know, authentication too, I think, and they, you know, they all do, the security stuff. But yeah, it's I mean, like they're very, very just. I mean, getting geeky here. I'm sorry, but for those listening, it's like you know they automatically will store all your passwords. You can go to a page and look at them all. It's like the only place where you might have them all. Um, some people do it. Some say no, I wouldn't do that. I write all, I write all mine down on a piece of paper and it's in my desk. I, I, I would definitely recommend using the online tool more than a piece of paper for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and don't keep them on your phone. Um, but on a notepad, however, yeah. on your phone, oh, yeah. Uh, on your phone though, if someone gets your phone and they somehow get through the password, um, then if everything's automatically stored, cause that's what everyone's used to. I open my app, whether it's United airlines for a $2,000 ticket or Starbucks, like I'm not entering anything. Actually, United, yeah. United makes you enter if you're using a credit card, but many of them don't. So how do you get around that? Because physical theft of the phone is more valuable than breaking into your house. Yeah, it is. I mean, if you think about it, you know, somebody gets into your house, you know, people don't keep cash around anymore. Like, what are they actually going to steal, right? I mean, there's not that much physically. Yeah, uh, please. They take, get into your my TV. I want, new, yeah. I want a new one anyway. <laughs> yeah, but they get into your phone. I mean, they can move money. They can, you know, get into your personal life. And, you know, everything is on your devices anymore. So I think, you know, the, the some of the, the, the core services that come on phones yeah. where you can remotely just purge them and get rid of them if it ends up getting stolen, et cetera, is really good. But yet again, this is why MFA and or 2FA ends up becoming very valuable because if they get in, then you want to make sure that you have a different device or a different email address where you're doing the authentication that's not accessible on the phone. So now even if your st- phone's stolen, you know they don't have access to that other email that you don't have preloaded inside your phone. 
that you can log into and see if they're trying to get in through 2FA uh, uh, as well. So so what's been the uh, toughest reboot you've gone through here? Um, um, you know, hopefully. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> There's too many. <laughs> we have to, we're going to prioritize them, obviously. And, you know, it could be with, it could be with Aura, it could be with Endurance. But, uh, you know, what can we learn from your uh, mistakes is what we'd like to say. You know, I, I can, I, I can, you know, I can probably go on for hours. There's, I've made a lot of mistakes, um, and so, you know, I would say from a business standpoint, um, you know, my learning between endurance to then starting Aura, uh, you know, I, I had the good fortune of having about six months off between one to the other, basically, or seven months. So, I had a lot of time to go. Extremely yeah, important. Had, yes. Yeah, so I had some time to think about you know a long journey I'd had with uh, my previous company and uh, what did we do well, what did we sort of fail at, and you know it came down to a few things for me. Uh, some are very specific to the business, but our last business, we did not spend a whole lot of time building either a brand or staying super doggedly focused on product in the in the later years. So we did a lot of things well. We got a good scale. You know, that business went from zero dollars when I started it to a billion two in revenue. So, you know, we did a lot of things right. Uh, but product towards the later years, uh, we probably were not as tight as we should have been. Um, and building out a uh, user-facing brand, we had not invested behind. Yep. But the third one, I would say, is much more of a soft skill where in the first go-around, I'd really built the company uh, and the executive team as sort of an extension of myself in some ways, which is, hey, I like doing this stuff or I don't have time to do this stuff. I think I need to hire somebody to help me do that, right? <laughs> Versus now when you know we started building Aura, like I spend a lot of time with our executive team getting them to own the problem, right? I mean, I, I think that the solution is like 70% in getting the team to own the problem. Like if we have a growth problem, that shouldn't be just my problem. That's our problem as a, as a management team. So, so we spend a lot of time... Uh, you know, making sure that people are internalizing the problem and building a culture where everybody has ownership of the problem, so we all feel motivated to try to come up with a solution. Exactly. Uh, so that that's been a that's been a big learning for me over the years. I would say I love that. And based on everything you've been through, and you know, I've run B two B as well as consumer companies, and we all know which one costs more to get going. How, how did you? Yes, do, it does. I mean, the consumer <laughs> side is just huge investment in terms of you know yeah. burn and churn and getting subscribers. So what what's the going forward? I guess, how did you choose, you know, consumer over B2B? Because it's mostly consumer-based modeling, right? Yeah. You know, it, 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 it was interesting because when you look at the landscape of enterprise security companies, there are like 6,500 companies that are all buying <laughs> exactly. for, yeah, 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 they're all buying for sort of the, the enterprise dollars. Yeah. Uh, the problem space is getting smaller and smaller because a lot of people are trying to expand their product into, into other areas of the enterprise. Exactly. Uh, and they're all very, very well-funded. Now, on the other side, the consumer market crime has gotten a lot more sophisticated where like 10 years ago, as you probably remember, you know, somebody hacked into your computer, it was a script kitty that was going to go brag about it to their buddies, basically, right? Yeah. And now it's a criminal enterprise. So there's just a lot more crime happening. The TAM is unlimited in, in the way I see it, which is basically, uh, uh, you know, there's 7 billion people plus, you know, there are 4.5 billion connected people. Every one of them has this problem. So it's, it's a huge uh, opportunity. Now, the negative side of it is obviously, unless you know how to uh, get the go-to-market motions right, it can end up being very, very expensive. Now, the good news is the last company, um, we were very focused on uh, marketing to bring small business into the into the door. 
And a lot of SMBs, especially the smaller ones, behave a lot like a prosumer. Yep. So we'd had a lot of good experience with marketing strategies there. So we thought, okay, well, we could probably apply many of those things here. Um, and uh, we, you know, as, as time went on, uh, with COVID, we did get some tailwind there because a lot more people were using stuff online. So a lot more crime started happening as well. Um, so it ended up becoming a, a good bet because it, it just seemed like, to me, it seemed like, look, cybersecurity is this like super very hairy problem that isn't getting easier it's going to get worse over 10 years so it seemed like a good bet and so the only real risk is the one you're talking about which is can you aggregate consumers at a reasonable cost without burning lots and lots and lots and lots of money uh, in the process so yeah the way i look at that is we we talk about a lot on the program and at kellogg and and advising companies it's the bbb strategy what are you going to build what are you going to buy so you've, you've been buying and investing in things obviously built your own platform and then and then what can you borrow partnering and getting strategic partners you know you're distributing other, 100%. other people's and because you're right uh people want to buy less products obviously customers do big corporates yeah they want to buy you know they'd love to consolidate everything like on my phone um so yeah yeah good market just uh yeah i think there's a uh, there's a need for uh it's always a need for speed, but a need for creatively getting to market in a way that you're not doing it all by yourself. And how do you think about exactly. that, that? The whole borrowing and partnering thing. And- yeah, look at me. It's you know I've thought about this a lot over the years and sort of you know tried obviously a lot of different strategies. If it's core to your business and it maybe whatever it is, right? I mean, you know, if it's core to your growth, if it's core to the the company and the, the value prop that you're offering to your customer, yep. you definitely want to build it and own it. Uh, you know, if it's basically something. That's a bit more adjacent. Like for us, you know, like our data platform, you know, the AI capability set, the deep integration layers, like those are all critical to the experience we drive to our customers. So we have to own that. Uh, now, on the buy part of it, the calculus ends up becoming much more about time for us uh, anyway, which is, hey, you know, here's a company that's already kind of made two or three years worth of runway or five years worth of runway building this thing. And we really need that in our roadmap. Right. And it's going to take us two years to go build it. Can we potentially shave some time off as sort of the buy calculus? And then the partner piece is, hey, uh, if it's go-to-market stuff, uh, anybody that has leverage, meaning, you know, hey, uh, there's somebody that can resell our product, but getting one partner opens up 10,000 more potential customers or something like that, you know, that, that ends up becoming a great partnership opportunity. But on the product side, if it's not something that's uh, core uh, to your, to your uh, c- c- customer experience, you generally kind of want to go partner to go try it out before investing a lot of dollars because yep. like, like a lot of times you fall in love with an idea you're like oh that's going to be the next great thing and okay everybody let's go build that and then you know <laughs> and then it may or may not be the next great thing so there yeah. you might be able to do a lot more by testing with the partner that's already in that space right i always ask my cto when you say it'll be ready third quarter you mean this year right <laughs> yeah right oh uh, listen um we could talk for hours so how you want to thank you for joining us any any uh, words of wisdom for you know aspiring entrepreneurs that want to kind of grow up and be like you and be a ceo even if they're your age i know i'm I, you know uh, the, the the biggest thing i've learned over these years is uh is bet on yourself you know i think that you know people uh, tend to yeah. kind of get in their own way like when you actually get into something you're always capable of doing a lot more than you think it's just taking that step is really difficult, whether it's starting a business, you know, whether it's sort of a career direction, any of those things. Uh, we just should have spent a lot of cycles thinking about all the things that could go wrong and, you know, being fearful of stuff. But generally taking a bet on yourself is is uh, is always good. And if you're an entrepreneur, uh, wait as long as you can to raise money because 
I'm yet to meet an entrepreneur with a successful business that says, oh, I wish I'd owned less of my business. You know, everybody w- wishes they would own more. Um, hmm. So the longer you wait, the more of your business you're going to end up owning. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Great. You've been listening to Hari Ramachandran, and he is the CEO of Aura and also just wrote a really cool new book called Intelligent Safety for Families. It's uh, amazing. Pick it up anywhere. And I want to thank you for joining us today. This is Dean Tobias with the Reboot Chronicles, and we will see you soon. 